everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet. This is Ken Reeb. We, Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the weekly long-form Kenny and Rennie show when we dive into the uh, personalities that make up sports media here in Canada. We've got a good one for you today. Our main man on the desk at Sportsnet, Ken Reed, is going to join us. That's how I screwed up your name earlier on there, Kenny. And, <laughs> and we got John Bartlett as well. If you uh, if he hops on, you recognize his voice. That's because uh, he was the one doing the Jets game last night. Phenomenal job with them. I have the pleasure of working with Barks quite a bit on the road. Uh, we He and I shared a, a romantic American Thanksgiving dinner uh, together in Columbus, Ohio this past uh, this past year because uh, my COVID oh, testing right, didn't yes. work out and he had COVID issues as well. So we did some Thanksgiving Day shopping and uh, and went out for at, at Ruth's Chris for uh, some turkey. So a little bit of a bonding happening there. We'll get into that. But uh, first, start off, Ken. How are you doing today? I see that you're all in on golf. Tis the season, yes, uh, and it's not a no no underlying uh, shots taken at the local hockey club. It's a beautiful day at Augusta, and uh, just enjoying uh, enjoying enjoying Cameron Smith with the early lead. Tiger having a fun day, uh, just a fun time of the year. First major happening, and yeah, I mean, uh, lucky enough to go to the Monday practice round one year. Although it was still is a bit of a sore spot, I was not able to walk the entire grounds. There was some weather issues, but. Uh, it's a magical place and sort of it's just such a great time of the year, Sean, right? Opening day for baseball, Augusta oh, yeah. first majors happening and the hockey season is picking up for most markets right now. So um yeah, fun time of the year, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I hope I'm not throwing a grenade because this isn't the kind of show where we I should be throwing grenades, but I, I am <laughs> interested in your thoughts on the coverage that we're seeing from Tiger. There's, you know, been a lot of people who have pointing out today, there's a lot of journalists out there that are openly rooting for Tiger Woods. Um, some pointing out that people on the broadcast are openly cheering for Tiger Woods. What are your thoughts on that and the way that the media covers him? I know, you know, he was, it was wall to wall tiger because he sold back in the days and he probably still does now. Um, but are you okay with the way the media covers Tiger Woods at this stage of his career? It's certainly interesting. And I think the most fascinating part about Tiger is his own personal transformation. Formation, easy for me to say. Uh, I was at an event a couple of years ago. Um, in the Ozarks where Tiger was opening, opening or launching a golf course. And just to see how things are handled, there were, I think maybe around 30 or 35 journalists there. Um, even in that small setting, Sean, there was no one-on-one -on -one with Tiger. He only did a, a Q&A with Tom Lehman. So for me, I, I was absolutely blown. Like, as someone who gets access daily to athletes, I was absolutely befuddled by the decision here I am on this two, on this junket thinking, oh, Tiger's here. You get, you know, not not not. Oh my God, I get to meet Tiger. But oh, it'll be cool to interview Tiger. Yeah. And then they didn't make him available, and I'm absolutely beside myself given the day to day access that we get. But the crazy part, Sean, two days later he had the first back fusion. So I mean, it was one of those things where yes, Tiger was there, you know, shaking hands and putting on the happy face, but he had this massive surgery on on tap and i guess they were so worried about the leak happening that they wouldn't make him available even to a small setting of journalists so uh the thing about tiger i find that he's finally humanized himself which is interesting to me because he's he had been so robotic for so long i read his biography it's absolutely tremendous uh watch the you know watch the hbo special as well 
Um, I love the fact that he still remains confident, but I love the fact that he's become human now. Um, he is showing, I love the gratitude that he showed the other day at his Tuesday press conference. Uh, sorry, this is a long-winded way of saying it's interesting to monitor. Um, I'm not saying I condone it. I can understand why uh, the story is unbelievable. I mean, the fact that he's on the course at all is an amazing feat for anyone, let alone the world's best golfer. But you go from not thinking you're going to be able to see Tiger play ever again, potentially, to him contending at the Masters overnight. And there's this, this shroud of secrecy. Will he? Won't he? Will he? Won't he? Is he there? Is he not there? I mean, I think there. if you're part of the field, you would, Sean, I know what you're thinking. I think the same thing. If you're in the field... And you'd probably be annoyed at all the coverage, but at the same time, you're thinking, let everyone flock to Tiger. I'll just go out here like Cameron Smith and make eight birdies in round one, and everyone can can hold their breath every time Tiger steps over the ball. I'm just going to go six down and take care of business, right? I mean, that that that's the interesting part to me, that dynamic, the the back and forth. But I think that Tiger has opened himself up to being a human being, and, you know, the, the camaraderie with the, the players is something we didn't really see from him in the early stages of his career. So I think story-wise, I understand why there's all this attention. But um, the openly rooting, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here for it. But I think everyone who loves golf wants to see Tiger in contention because I think I saw a tweet. It's not Tiger just moves the needle. He is the needle, right? He is the needle that is moving. And again, it's better for the sport if Tiger is in contention on the weekend. And the thing about today, Tiger's only broken par twice in the opening round, I think, in 24 tournaments. So whether he shoots 75 or 69 today, you know, this is a guy who's better as the Masters move on. So I, I'm, I've watched almost, again, we would say it would probably be annoying. I've watched almost every shot that he's hit today. Right, and so and even on the on the range, I was watching on the range. I see a grimace. I mean, what does the grimace mean? Does it mean he can't get through the round, or does it mean he's just gonna he's already preparing himself to play through the pain? So, anyways, long-winded way of saying uh, I don't love the openly rooting, but I can understand why um, people are showing their vulnerability. But I guess there's a definitely a difference between having the fan badge and being a journalist in this case, but. Um, that's, I guess, a debate for another day. Um, like a true pro, our main man on the desk for Sportsnet, Ken Reed, was here early. Couldn't bring him in early uh, because ask Ken a question. He went to the buffet on it. So <laughs> five minutes later. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I'm the same way, man. <laughs> Ken, uh, we, we love hey, to great, dive into. We, great we lid, by the way. Great Thank lid. You. Thank you. Cabot. Cabot. Yeah. Let's go. Good, good track. We, we love to dive into to you on this show, but I do kind of want to start here because I'm interested in your thoughts. I'd ask Ken T in this up, the, you know, the Tiger coverage, I feel like it's always been like this, but the, it is evident and people are calling it out on social media, but there's a lot of journalists out there right now that are just openly rooting for Tiger. Yeah. Um, as a journalist, I wanted to know where you fall on that, because to be quite honest, there is I, I like to think of myself as being old school. I think you're supposed to keep your you know allegiances as close to you as you can. And you're supposed to abandon all of the allegiances that you can. I find it strange to see the way that sports journalists are responding to Tiger today. I wanted your take. It's got an international soccer feel to it, doesn't it? Uh, you know, he, like international soccer, they 
there's guys openly cheering in the press box, which is just weird to me. I remember being in a press box in Edmonton once and a new guy pumped his arm at an Oilers goal. And I said to the guy beside me, who is that? He said the guy's name. I said, if he does that again, he might be at risk of breaking his arm. I'm like, come on, be a pro, right? Be a pro. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, if you're a golf, if you're a golf journalist and you're embedded in the golf world, it's obviously good for your business if Tiger does well. But you got to separate the two. I'm old school, like you said, Sean, like you are, and Ken, I know you are as well. Uh, you know what's such an interesting observation is my my son played hockey this year at at a pretty decent level, and it's the first year that he could actually kind of play. And it was so interesting watching the other parents just all. Not all, but a lot of them screaming and yelling. And I would literally sit there. My son's the goalie, so I'd go off by myself. I'd watch the entire game, and I wouldn't say boo. And my, I've told this to so many coaches. I was talking to my son's coach for next year, and I said, every hockey parent in Canada should have to watch at least one game from a National Hockey League press box to learn how to watch a game without showing emotion, without cheering. I'm big on separating myself from the event that I'm at. When I'm home, if I want to cheer, I cheer, but... When you're there, you'd be a pro, man. And for me, being a pro means uh, remaining neutral. Uh, if not wholeheartedly, then at least on the outside. boy. Go for it, Kenny. Uh, Kenny, I mean, just what a quick thought on the Masters before we uh, get rolling. And who's your sleeper pick? I have Corey Connors, uh, again, waving yeah. the Canadian flag uh, as a journalist, but I, I think he's 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 my under-the-radar. But I did also have Cameron Smith in my first box of my Masters pool as well, and Kepka in my second. So I've, I've covered all of my bases mm-hmm. here. Yeah, I uh, we had Ryan Burr on Tim and Friends last night, and I said, I'll go with whoever you go with. So he went Kepka, so I put, a, I think, 10 bucks on Kepka. But I, I put a Tony Finau. Tony Finau, I put a little on him. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes would be a great story, you know. But then again, are we being, you know, biased by saying that? Are we being biased by saying Corey Connors? But when it comes to golf for me, it's just such a crapshoot. But to see Tiger at one under, that's awesome. And he has 24 hours until he tees off tomorrow, right? Because he's, he's in the afternoon, so they can work a lot on his knee. But uh, when it comes to golf and predictions, I think it, it's – just a total, complete and total toss-up for me. I got no idea, but what I find interesting is Tiger's 46 now, right? And when Jack won in 86, he was 46. And I remember watching that with my dad, refusing to go outside and play baseball with my buddies and thinking, look at this old man. And now <laughs> Tiger's 46, younger than me, and he's not an old man. So perspectives change. Ken, I want to start digging into you. Uh, there's this, uh, there's a line that always sticks out to me in Anchorman when Veronica Corningstone talks about how she's trying to get from the region to the nationals and she's working on her non-regional dialect, she yeah. talks about. One of the things I love about you is you didn't go down that road. There's, uh, there's a maritime boy in you that can never be slain, and I love it. I love that you fly that flag. Thanks. I want to know, I'm interested in how when you were going to, you know, be a national journalist, you know, covering the entire country, um, why it was important for you to take that PCU and not hide it and hold it on display? Well, here's the thing. I have worked on my non-regional dialect because when I first showed up in Calgary, I went from a job in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia to Calgary, Alberta. And I was in, I came on as a news writer and then as a videographer. And I had, I was sent to the zoo to do a story on marmots. But as I call them the story, marmots. And the whole newsroom is in tears when the story's on. And I'm like, what? Marmot, marmot, marmot. So if you go back to Picto, where I'm from, they'd be like, what's going on there, Sean and Kenny? How are you, boys? Look at you there. We 
with your big friggin' uh, golf shirt on there, Arnold Palmer, like like that, right? So I go home and I sound like Anchorman to people from home. But uh, my 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 favorite uh, advice for young journalists and broadcasters, I'll go. Do any of you guys know Audio Slave? And some of them will say, Yeah. Well, they were a band, circa 2006. And I said the best line that Audio Slave gives that you should apply to your on-air work is to be yourself is all that you can do. So. I think if you're going to fail, fail as yourself. If you're going to succeed, succeed as yourself. If you're going to have people think you're a donkey, well, it's because maybe you are. So I'm, <laughs> it's just me, man. It, it, it is what it is. But it's funny. I do, I do work on the accent, but clearly I guess I still have one, right? I always make fun of Doug McLean for his accent, right? Doug McLean from Summerside. But I made fun of him for that. But I'm sure I have one as well. But when you have an accent, you don't know you have one. That's the beauty of it. Love the early Audio Slave reference. One of the best yes. shows that I saw here in Winnipeg. They played nice. the uh, the their own uh, music. They had uh, some sound gar- a sound garden set and a rage set, which I found to be absolutely tremendous. So, dude, and rage is on the road this summer. Let's yeah, go I got back tickets. together. Let's I got go. tickets on the floor. I've had them since oh. I've had them since pre-COVID. I got tickets on the floor. They were coming, and Tool was coming, and I was all over it. And then everything fell apart. And Tool has is not coming back. But I've been holding on to those Rage tickets oh. ever since. Rage, yeah, beautiful, uh, Kenny. I mean, I, I read newspapers growing up. Wanted to be a newspaper writer. I mean, what's what's your background, and and how did you land in the TV side of things? Like. A lot of guys wanted to play in the NHL when I was eight years old. They realized it wasn't going to happen. Pouting and moaning. And my dad said, well, the guys who go to the games, they still get paid. And I go, we don't even go to the games. Broadcasters. Ding. I guess I'll be a broadcaster. So, you know, I was just like you guys. I'm sure we got the paper every day and I laid it out on the floor and read the sports section. Tuesdays was awesome because that's when the full NHL stats were in the paper. I got my scrapbook from when I was a kid. It's in one of the rooms here in the house. And, you know, random stats are cut out. There's a picture of Guy Carbonneau playing for the Nova Scotia Voyagers. You know, just just random stuff. But it was something I always wanted to do, which uh, was a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing for me because I never I never had that, had that conversation with myself. What do I want to do? It was a curse for my father because he was the local doctor. And all the teachers would say, what's wrong with your son? And what do you mean? Well, all the other doctors' kids are brilliant. Your son is like 62 <laughs> average. Well, that's because I didn't care. I knew that math up to grade seven was fine. Multiplication, division. Uh, I could figure out the goalie's average. Once they got Pythagorean theorem in there, I said, that has nothing to do with hockey or baseball, whatever. And I really didn't care. I enjoyed English and I enjoyed history. So, you know, went about, and, like you guys, I'm sure, worked my way. Uh, started in a small station, which is so strange now because you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And just, yeah, work. I started, I remember getting rejected for a job at a radio station in Toronto, Nova Scotia, and the news director just losing it on me. And I thought, oh, man, I'm done. And then I got hired by Channel 10 in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, which was awesome. And I did play-by-play for the local Junior A team in the Maritime Junior League, which was awesome. Good fight league, and I love my hockey fights. Um, <laughs> and then... You know, you can only make $8 an hour for so long. So I packed up, moved to Calgary where my mom was living. And uh, my buddies Doug Basin and Kurt Studley helped me get a job at A-Channel Calgary. And went from morning breakfast writer, worked my way up to, you know, weeknight news anchor and news sports anchor and covering the flames and just having a blast. And from there to Ottawa, to Edmonton, to Toronto. So lots of fun along the way. 
I love that you brought up the fact that you love your hockey fights because that's evident yeah. uh, in your comments, A, on the show and B, on Twitter. And, uh, yeah. you know, that is one of those um, opinions that can get you in trouble these days. You know, there's a lot of people who call it, you know, that are trying to root it out of the sport, think that it's a problem. We'll call you a dinosaur for that. Yeah. Um, it makes me interested in the way that you, and I wouldn't call it taking a stand, but the way that kind of like your accent you're not afraid to share who you are mm -hmm. and what your interests are on the internet despite you know kind of the blowback that you may get uh what's kind of your philosophy and how you share yourself um through media with your audience and kind of what you keep to yourself it's funny you say that because you know i collect sports cards i'm a fully grown man supposedly and i collect sports cards well sports cards were <clears throat> for a number of years for an adult kind of like you know a certain type of cinema. Lots of people are into that certain type of cinema, but nobody publicly admits it. So lots of adults <laughs> collect, collect hockey and baseball cards, but nobody would admit it. And then the pandemic came along and everyone's like, oh, I got this old card, this old card. And now it's it seems to be culturally acceptable for an adult to talk about a hockey card for the most part. So I always just did anyway. And when COVID came along, works like you need an Instagram account. I said, no, they're like, no, you have to have one. So I'm like, I'll put up a hockey card on it. Yeah. And when I wrote my hockey card stories books, like I wrote that my first book in 2014, and I was like, who cares? People can make fun of me all they want, man. I make fun of people. Why shouldn't people make fun of me? I'm a slightly <laughs> overweight, bee-eyed sportscaster with a skin condition that makes him even more white than he appears to be. So have at him. <laughs> so I started calling up guys about their old hockey cards, and it, it connected with people. People started admitting that, yeah, you know, I collect hockey cards too, right? And we look down on the comic book people. We call them nerds, even though they probably call us nerds. So, you know what? I know the, the fighting thing, Sean, I take a lot of heat from it. I was pretty outspoken yesterday on Tim and Friends and, you know, about, about the Anaheim thing. And I take a lot of heat from it. And probably at some point, it might, it probably will turn a boss off. Or, But I think where I work, I'm very happy that... Sportsnet just lets me be me. I I never really had that before. So they're like, we hired you for you. And I totally cherish that. So I'm me. So take it or leave it. And I think what's so funny about the the, the era we're in now, and we're, we're all free social media. If somebody really had a problem with you, they have to write a letter to the editor or find you somehow <laughs> or turn the channel i'm like you're still allowed to turn the channel without directly contacting me and telling me you suck but if i suck that's your prerogative you can still contact me but i took a lot of heat yesterday and a lot of raptors fans are after me because i think the idea of a statue of kyle lowry is absolutely ridiculous he won one title i mean come on i think that's ridiculous so a lot of raptors fans get after me for that but uh i'm not afraid to share it and i don't try to sugarcoat it and i know Sometimes in our industry, a lot of people will try to sugarcoat things, and I'm just kind of, whatever. Yeah. Kyle was great, but he uh, he had a little bit of help in that series as well. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. He was great. He was fantastic. He had a little yes. bit of help from Kawhi Leonard and everybody else. And he, yes, he's the best Raptor ever, but a statue? Just not yet. You know, maybe in 50 years if you want to do it, but not not. don't be in a rush to make a statue of someone. Love it. Uh, also, also love that you brought up uh, card collecting. Uh, growing up in the small town of Eltona, I worked at the sports shop when the card collection business was still a profitable one. Uh, yeah. Got to see some fun cards roll in, and 
Uh, my Mario Lemieux rookie, I still have to find it. It's in my house here somewhere. I think that's my prized possession. Oh, I, I never, I never got a, never got a Gretzky, but uh, I have a Lemieux rookie somewhere. Loved getting the old, you know, you get your allowance straight to the grocery store, picking up oh, yeah. the, you know, the. Couldn't wait for the for the bad piece of bubble gum that only lasted about eight seconds, but uh, you couldn't yeah. wait to see what you got. Uh, how did you get into it, and, and why do you think you stayed in, into it? Ken? Yeah, so I got into it. Um... Probably the same way you guys did. Uh, where I was from, there was the NHL was as far off fantasy world, and the only access you got to it was the Saturday night hockey night in Canada game. I had Hockey Digest come to the, the house. Remember that? Not the Hockey News, Hockey Digest. I did write a letter to the editor in Hockey Digest once, and I still have the magazine. And um, I got into it because you could have a picture of Guy Lafleur right in, right in your hand, and the guy you saw on Saturday night. And I couldn't go see him in person, and Man, how many goals did Gittle Fleur score in a second year? I could turn the card over and find that out. So for me, it was an extension of the game that I loved, and it brought me closer to the game that I loved. And as I became an adult, it's now a connection to my childhood and the game I love. And I, I'm like I mentioned, one of the subjects I was actually good at in school was history. I'm a history guy, hockey history. So I can learn hockey history with a little piece of cardboard. So that's that's kind of what it's all about for me. Right now, I'm searching for a Stanton Jackson. 1924 champ cigarettes card if anyone has it stanton jackson was from amherst nova scotia parsborough nova scotia and played for the toronto st pats so if anybody has it let me know so you're a history guy uh, and it and it kind of bleeds out of cards into equipment i've noticed as well so i <laughs> yeah. listen i don't want to put you on the spot here but i thought this is the best guy my dad handed down a helmet to me that, you know, it's one of these things, and you'll get this. If you go and you're playing with a group of guys, do you pull out a ridiculously old lid and throw it on? Everybody loves it. So my old totally. man gave me this bad boy right here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is a, a, CCM oh, Pro a CCM Guard. CCM oh Pro Guard made in Canada, patent pending. They didn't even have the patent oh. locked down by the time. Oh. That was, take a look at this in here. Like, I don't even know why you would have had the helmet. That's like so thin. I don't it's, know that it does So anything. that looks like something they would have put out pre-Paul Henderson 72 helmet that the, that Canada went nuts for. Like oh, that, boy. look at that bucket. See, that's Amazing. the, John, it's a conversation starter. And that's what a go. hockey card is. And that's what an old helmet is. That is freaking beautiful, buddy. So the question I wanted to ask you is, what is it about the in, the antiquities of sport that is yeah. so romantic for you? I think I might have just said it. It's a conversation starter. It gets people talking. It's it's a piece of history in your head, on your head, in your hand. I had a blue Cooper helmet that looked just like that when I was a little guy. It was my first ever helmet. But CCM, man, they make beauty buckets. And that Paul Henderson helmet from 72, that was the helmet of... Man, I'd say two generations. And the guys, the, the helmet, the, the most popular style of helmet is still based on that Henderson CCM, right? Any, every helmet looks the same now. But again, yeah. they all look the same now. So in the back in the day, you could tell who a player was because you'd see their whole head. Then we get into an era where you could tell who they were because of their helmet, right? Klima, Gratsky, Matt Snazlin, whomever. And now even all the helmets look the same. So it's it's a character thing, right? Like. Yeah. It, it shows your character what kind of helmet you want to wear, you know. So it's, yeah, it's 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 a conversation starter. It's something unique. And like you said, Sean, if you wear that the men's league, it's on. Like it's you're a, star. a beautiful conversation <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, you're a star. A, I'll walk off the ice minus five, but I'm still the star of the game. Cares, exactly. <laughs> looks like a Dennis Marouk special to me right oh, there. I think Marouk, yeah. And if you wear that helmet with the Marouk stash, 
getting to all kinds of places for free. Free drinks oh, all night. Oh, I love it, Kenny. I love it. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, coming from the writing side, I'm fascinated by how you know how the process was for you in terms of the books, uh, especially. I know the the cards we talked about. I mean, where did you come up with the idea for the one night? to remember and what was the most enjoyable part about that because it's funny it could be one or the other right i mean if you only get that one shot of course you're grateful but yeah. there's got to be a lot of what ifs happening with those yes. stories because you had a taste of it but you didn't get to stay at the buffet you only got one turn and then it was it that's right is it better to have loved and lost than to never who to have loved at all right can you're a real writer i'm just a dude who tells stories right people say author i'm like author talking about authors are, authors are smart um it again it just comes out of the thought and and you know just wonder what it would like just to even play for one game and i i despise when people say oh that guy sucks i'm like he doesn't suck he's in the national hockey league that guy sucks he's in the east coast league if you go on the ice with him he will school you so part of it came out of wishing i could do it wishing i could have that experience and and then to what you said, Ken, just like, was it enough? Would you want more? Are you bitter? Or do you cherish it? And what I found was all the guys that I spoke with, they went through, yeah, you know, could have been more. But then they went through, but I did it. And time heals all wounds. And some of them maybe weren't even wounded at all. Maybe they were, that one was enough. But uh, yeah, a lot of incredible stories. Same with uh, one to remember the one goal thing. Um, it, to me, it's just incredible to, to say you achieved and made it to the highest level of any given profession. And in Canada, so many of us want to wish or want to play in the National Hockey League. So I wanted to know, you know, like, like uh, Monty Python, you know, your, your wife, is she into photography? I wanted to know what's it like. So that, that was it. Ken, uh, you worked from the small regional places right up to national. So you'll know what I what I we go through with this. You go through it as well. If I'm trying to tell Jet stories, I ha it has to resonate with my Jet's audience, right? But it also has to resonate with that person living in Newfoundland and in Tuktoyaktuk and in BC. So a lot of times, the, you know, there's a little bit of a filter. I have to run my story ideas and pitches through because it's got to resonate here in Winnipeg, but it's got to resonate everywhere. So I think because of that, sometimes as national journalists, we can get a little bit of a, I don't want to say looking down, but a little somewhat ignorant of the lower levels of the sport. You know, maybe don't we don't give the AHL its due yes. or even below yes. that. Yes. You do a phenomenal job of staying in touch with the grassroots of the sports, right back to talking about like senior hockey legends from, yeah. you know, where you come from. So I wonder how have you done such a good job of staying in touch with the grassroots of, of sport and why is it so important to you? That comes from Don Cherry, man. Growing up in a small town when Don Cherry would say, hey, he's from Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. He's from River Bourgeois. That would mean so much to us in Nova Scotia to hear Don Cherry say, Nova Scotia, right? And so here in Toronto, um, people don't care. You know, he's from a guy from Toronto made the NHL. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Man, when somebody from Pictou County, Nova Scotia, makes the NHL, three guys from my brother's Pee Wee Triple A midget team, Bantam team, and midget team made it. That's huge. And when when you go on Hockey Night in Canada, uh, you know, and you hear Pictou, Nova Scotia, when I remember when Don Cherry talked about Joey McDonald. His dad drives the ferry and picked up a PEI. My, my whole town was just going crazy. And Joey McDonald, the goalie, his first NHL start was in 
Edmonton. I happened to be covering the game out there when I was working in Edmonton for CTV there. And, and Greg Mellon was in town. He was working the game. Joey and I started talking. Then I'm like, Greg, we'll, he said, where will they be watching this in Pictou? I said, oh, Relics in the Tavern. And, and on Hockey Night in Canada, Greg says, Relics in the Tavern. And that means so much to people in small towns. So that's something that stuck with me. I'm a small town guy. So nothing ticks me off more at work when I get a highlight pack and it says the Canadian and I say to the guys on the row, I go, where's he from? Is he from Moose Jaw? Is he from, you know, Tuck, Tuck, Tuck? Is he from Parsville, Nova Scotia? Get that in there. We don't want to hear the Canadian. I want to be specific. And that comes from Don Cherry. And that comes from just being a small town guy with so much pride. And it also comes from the fact that if you played senior hockey, you're way better than me, so you deserve my respect. And I think the fact that some guy lit it up in the, in the senior leagues in Newfoundland in the 1980s, which was, man, like like a pro league, people should know that. Like, if you won the Herder Cup in Newfoundland in 1983, you're, you're tough. You're good. I mean, you got machine gun Gordy Gallant there. You got Kevin Morrison, maybe the most underrated tough guy in hockey history playing there. You get all kinds of studs. So, so people should know about that. And you know, I think they're cute little stories. I love it. Uh, covered quite a few games with Mr. Joey McDonald when he was a member of the Grand Rapids Griffins. No from kidding. From my Manitoba Moose Beat days. They had a couple of fun playoff series as well, from what I remember. No Pretty solid tendy there, for sure. Great goal. Yeah, good dude. Now, I'm from a small town. I mean, what was it like growing up in a small town? And, uh, you know, how did, how were you drawn to I mean, the joke is always about the golf in Picto. I mean, how did you get into golf? Golf? Uh Golf was easy. It was what to do in the summer, right? We had an 1,800-yard par 32, arguably the most dangerous golf course in the world. My brother had a stand-up <laughs> comedian. He has a short story on it. No word of a lie. I once saw the same guy get hit twice by a golf ball in the same day on that course. It was uh, it was hilarious. It was fun. Great place to learn your short game. So in the winters, it was hockey. And in the summers, it was baseball, golf, and soccer. And I just was I was drawn to golf. Uh, it was the best babysitting service in the town. A membership for a kid was 50 bucks, 50 bucks. A locker was 20. So we had a locker and you'd drive your super cycle to the golf course way up the hill. And you'd stay there all day. Uh, Faith, the Lions Club lady, made $1 boiled hot dogs. Ray Wilkie mowed the course. was all good. <laughs> Kenny, um I think about, I've actually wanted to ask uh, some, uh, some of the people we work with this question. I've never got around to it before, but I find it interesting. You're kind of, you know, not a very original sports that guy, not from the very beginning, but you've been around a long time with sports. Yeah, 11 years. You were, the, you were the face of them for a while. And, and it, there was a time, you know, before the hockey contract that Sportsnet was a distant second. I mean, it was yeah. not a race uh, between, yeah. between they and TSN. Um, and and it's very much now uh, it's it's heated. It's good. We're performing really well. I, I wonder the lessons that you take away from being with Sportsnet when it wasn't a race to where the, the Canadian sports media landscape has landed now. Well, it's funny because I came to Sportsnet. I was freelancing at TSN for a couple of years, and I was there freelancing there in the NHL network. And then I came to Sportsnet because you know I, I got a contract. It's stage steady work. I'm sure you guys are freelance for anyone out there as in freelance, you make good coin, but you never know when you're going to make it. And it's hard yeah. to plan your life. So I was getting married, you know, wanted to have kids and this great opportunity came at Sportsnet. Um, honestly, uh, what I learned is that embrace the journey, right? 
when I got there, right, you had to work up to where we are now. So embrace that journey. Enjoy the journey. Life comes in chapters. Enjoy every chapter. Don't just look at the end destination, but like truly enjoy the journey. Like, I, I look back and when I was, you know, making eight bucks an hour at Channel 10 in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and all I wanted to do was work for a legit TV station. But it was still fun making eight bucks an hour doing play by play of Junior A. The coach of the Summerside Western Capitals who won the league was Gerard Gallant. You know, it was still fun. Um, I look back, and but at the moment, sometimes maybe you're going, oh, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. So when I got to Sportsnet, it was like, okay, we got some work to do. Let's enjoy the journey. So that's what I try to do. You know, I don't focus so much on the end. It's just kind of, you know, you, know you, you set a goal, but try to enjoy every, enjoy the journey, enjoy the chapters, right? Because there's been a lot of fun at Sportsnet over the years. The, the craziness of the Blue Jays in 15, 16, that's about to start up again. Trust me. Yeah. Um, just in, enjoy it, man. How, how tough was it to give up the play-by-play element? Because, I mean, for myself, that was yeah. what I wanted to be as a kid. I mean, I yeah. you talked about the Hockey Digest. I, I, I got the Goal, goal Magazine. Yeah, when okay. I, when, I, when I was, a, I think, six or seven years old, uh, Elmer Hildebrandt brought Danny Galvin into the town of Eltona for the sportsman's dinner. So I have my edition of Goal Magazine signed by Danny Galvin. And I was lucky enough to, to call play-by-play uh, for the team under Regina when I was at journalism school uh, at the Lloyd Minster Allen Cup, which was tremendous. And wow. to be honest, that that's what I always wanted to do. And when, do, I gradu- when, I, when I graduated, my choices were to join the Winnipeg Free Press on a three-month contract or to work in radio you're the morning morning sports guy and maybe calling the Estevan Bruins. I mean, uh, my dad worked at Golden West. I had a door opening there and I was very tempted, but I thought going to a daily newspaper, I ended up getting a job at the Winnipeg Sun that, that August. I thought I was closer to the NHL by choosing the writing route, but it was incredibly yeah. tough for me. I mean, what was it like for you? It was tough because that's what I always wanted to do. And I'm a huge Danny Galvin guy. I'm honored to play in his golf tournament every year in Halifax. Uh, Danny Galvin and Bob Cole and Dick Irvin were just as big heroes to me as Wayne Gretzky and Guy Lafleur were. And Danny's a Nova Scotia guy, so that meant a lot to me. But, you know, did it for, well, did it in college, then did it, I guess, professionally at Channel 10, where I did make eight bucks an hour praying for overtime. But we did get free pizza delight before the game. So I could make upwards of $24 before taxes if it worked out right. But again, it's like, okay, I'm not getting any bites down here. And so I, I, I gave it up to move out west. And I thought, it'll come around again. And my goal was to work for a station that did hockey. And eventually I would get to do it again. Well, uh, I remember applying for a Lethbridge Hurricanes job when I was in Calgary. That didn't happen. And when I was in Edmonton, I, the Edmonton Oil Kings came around. I was asked, you know, would you want to try out for this? And I was like, you know, I got a good job here at CTV Edmonton. It's probably a pay cut. No, thank thank you, honored, but thank you. I, I'm not going to apply for it. And it just never came around again. And it's always kind of in the back of your mind. But at, at some point also, I think you realize work most values me in this position. It's probably where I should be, even though you dream of the other thing. But I think we all dream of doing play-by-play and yeah, it's it's still in the back of your head. Like if there was ever a, a medical emergency, I'm sure you know. And they need you can you got to do it. You got to do it. The closest I ever came to doing it again was when I was uh, when I was at TSN. I was hosting the World Championships, and the audio feed went out, so I had to do it for about two minutes. And I did it from the desk. It was fun. That's the closest I ever came to doing it again. 
Kenny, uh, we really appreciate you joining us. I got to say this. I think when when uh, media personalities do it right uh, and are, like you had said, who they are, you get a sense uh, in the audience of feeling like you know that person. Um, I've never met someone that I watched on TV in real life that was more exactly like what I thought they were than you were. The times I've been able to meet you at Sportsnet, you are entirely who you are on air. Uh, and you're a lovable guy on air, a lovable guy in real life. It's uh, It means a ton to us that you took the time. Thanks, been, you're another one of the guys we've been trying to track down for a while. you got a busy schedule, but it's, we're happy to get you on. I couldn't do it. Did you look up idiot in uh, the thesaurus and it said use lovable? <laughs> Thanks, boys. That was fun, man. And and I, yeah, I, I'd love to come on again. It was a fun chat. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think we've left lots on the table so we can do that. Really appreciate that, Ken. We'll see you. Beauty boys. See ya. All right. Cheers. From Kenny to John Bartlett, we're bringing him in. And uh, you were at the did the Jets game last night. I told a little story before. It, John's another one. He's been waiting in our green room watching the show this whole well, time. Yeah. You, didn't get, you didn't get in in time to hear me tell the story uh, right off the top about our romantic Thanksgiving Day dinner the two, <laughs> of, you, the two of us shared earlier this year. Um, but what this is all about is just kind of digging into you, John, and kind of understanding who you are, what got you to where you are. And I guess we, we should start uh, right at the beginning and kind of where does the road start for John Bartlett in heading down a road in sports media? Yeah, well, you know, I was, uh, it's funny. I was listening to Kenny there. I was hoping Kenny was still going to stay on because I know he loves his hockey cards. So I've got this one for you here. This is a Joe Sacco Newmarket <laughs> Saints AHL card, now an assistant coach with the Boston Bruins. So uh, when he played at Boston University for three years, came into Newmarket when he was in the AHL in my hometown. So uh, just thought I'd throw that one out for Kenny as well there. And you guys were talking about Joey Mc... I know we'll get onto this in a second. You were talking about Joey McDonald. Uh, Joey McDonald, Bobby Kayser, by the way, in Winnipeg last night doing the game for the Red Wings radio. And he's the longtime broadcaster for Grand Rapids. It was great to see him. But I remember one particular game and, you know, people talk about this all the time. Do you Are there games you remember? Hey, you remember moments and stuff, but... You know, there's so many games. I don't know if any particular ones do stand out, but one I do recall uh, from being in the American Hockey League was a, a Friday night in Grand Rapids uh, with the Marlies and the Griffins, and it was Joey McDonald against Ben Scrivens in net, and it was one of those great nights where it was a goalie duel. It was scoreless into the third period. It was New Year's Eve. It was dollar beer night. Building was sold out. The lineup for the bathroom in the second intermission was longer than any beer line in the first two periods. And uh, just a great atmosphere. It ended up in a shootout. Um, and, yeah, Joey McDonald stood on his head with Ben Scrivens that night and it was a, a fantastic hockey game. I remember that one. So you're talking about Joey McDonald that way and tie it all together. But, uh, yeah, for me, uh, what was the question again? How did it start? <laughs> well, yes, sir. We literally just got off the plane from Winnipeg from the game. We were yeah. together last night right yeah. back here for the show so how did it start is that what you were getting at yeah kind of give yeah. me an idea if you look back and think what kind of first set you on this road what was that yeah so for me uh it really started i guess with um it, well how it all began i mean i i was nine years old when i first appeared on radio and i was an evening character called the rock and roll troll i did a wolfman jack voice can't even do it anymore and uh, so that kind of got a little bit of a, a knack for broadcasting going. But but where it uh, transpired for me is um, actually on the annual House League Closing Championship weekend, um, I started doing the PA announcing and music for that. 
And then that got me a job with the local junior team uh, doing the same thing with the Newmarket 87s or Hurricanes as they were known later. So I was doing that and I was a player at the same time. I was in high school, I was going to school and, uh, and I was playing as a goalie. And uh, one night, the York Simcoe Express AAA team had started up and they had an opening night in Newmarket where Rogers TV was there to cover the games. And they had asked if I could just come and do the music in the building that night. I didn't even have to do the PA announcing. I said, sure, no problem. I played a game myself a little earlier. Uh, so I had showered up. I'm in a shirt and tie. I had a ball cap on. I'm expecting to hide up in the press box all night. And the people that were supposed to show up to call the game uh, didn't show up for some reason. So they came to me and said, if you can find somebody to do the music for this, uh, you want to slide over and try doing the play-by-play. So I said, uh, okay. So it was actually my minor hockey coach was in the crowd. I said, here, I was playing CDs at the time. Here, can you do this for me? Whatever you do, don't play the same artist or the same song. And, of course, when the game went on, I heard the same song on pause about six or seven <laughs> different times. But anyways, I digress. So over I slide at uh, 15 years old and just uh, jumped on camera, shirt and tie and a ball cap, you know, because my hair was a mess from coming from playing hockey out of the shower. And, uh, and away I went. And that was the first game I ever did. And uh, had a lot of fun with it and thought, oh, this, this would be something fun to pursue. And uh, so from there, I started calling um, uh, the annual House League Hockey Tournament on Rogers every year and, and had a ton of games and then started doing some Junior C and then Junior A. And this is all while I was still playing at the same time, which got weird sometimes when you're playing one night in the same league and then calling the team a few nights later. But um, And that just carried on. And then uh, from Junior A, I went to the OHL in Barrie with the Colts and then had the opportunity to go to the American Hockey League with the Marlies when they came to Toronto. And then uh, from there off to the NHL uh, in, in Montreal and radio and then switched over to TV. And then um, that's sort of been the path ever since. So just like a player, uh, the same kind of, you know, uh, trajectory, I guess, uh, that you go through all the different levels. Uh, but that that's how it, how it started. I always had sort of a little passion for broadcasting and did a lot of other things, you know, with Rogers TV at the time and everything. But for the hockey play-by-play, that's really how it started. It was, uh, um, you know, they just didn't show up that night and I slid into the booth and, and had a whirl at it and uh, still trying to have a whirl at it ever since, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say you Wally pipped him and it's worked out pretty well for yeah. you, Johnny. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah um, I, I can remember, I mean, obviously listening to Hawking in Canada and everything else, but then also remembering kind of like calling games yourself with the TV muted. I mean, how did you develop your style and, and was that part of your process in the early days as well? Yeah, you know, I, I had the the fortune. Obviously, you do that, you know, when you think about growing up and, uh, you know, same for Ken, right? Uh, you know, listening to Bob Cole and, and Dick Irvin, Danny Gallivan, Chris Cuthbert, uh, and the list goes on and on. You sort of absorb it all in. But for me, uh, having the benefit of being able to do games um, at that minor hockey level and on TV, on, on Rogers TV, um, that was an opportunity to have real experience where you can – work on your craft. And, you know, I had the VHS tapes going. I still have the boxes. I did a couple seasons of Sunday night hockey on Rogers TV for junior C hockey with the Bradford Bulls. And I still have the box of every game tape because I would record the game on a Sunday night. And then the Monday I'd come home after school, pop the tape in the VCR, pull a notepad out and, and go back and watch and rewatch the game and say, okay, I liked what I did there. Oh, what was I thinking there? And, you know, um, so I, th- I think anytime you get that, the ability to have any kind of um, real live game experience is a huge bonus in how you can 
um, you know, develop yourself in your craft as a broadcaster. So nowadays, when I have a lot of young broadcasters ask me what to do, um, it, it's different now where you don't have the stations the same way with Rogers. But now we have the Internet where just about every team has has an Internet broadcast. And, um, you know, I always say anytime you can have an opportunity to do that and have a real audience, what you want is is someone live listening. And it might only be two or three parents that are, and that's okay. It, it gives you that practice of you're live, you're on air, you've got to do the game as it happens. You can't script live sports. So any kind of opportunity you have uh, to learn from that is is always a huge bonus. So, um, you know, now with the opportunities of so many teams having internet broadcasts everywhere, I, I think that it, it creates a, an interesting opportunity for young broadcasters to really, you know, work on their craft that way. John, I'm interested specifically in your voice. I'm going to back this up. We like to give a little bit of a behind-the-scenes thing here. And one of these behind-the-scenes things I like about you is when we're out on the road, when we go out to a restaurant or something like that, when you order, your voice sounds like you are calling an exciting game. And it's like, and I'll get the fries. And, you know, you, you, you launch into it. And you create such a connection. Every time I'm out with you, you create such a connection with the people we interact with, with the waitresses, with the hostesses, with people that you meet on the street. And, and so, I mean, I, I have to think that that's a phenomenal gift to have to be able to connect with an audience with your voice the way you are. Is, 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 did this come baked in or was there work that you had to get that kind of booming draw people in voice that you have that we're listening to right now? Well, um, first of all, with the connection with people, I, I think as Ken was saying, um, you know, it's just being yourself. Uh, I am who I am, who you see on the air. It's, I'm the same person. Um, so yeah, I, I don't mind chatting with people and being friendly. Um, you know, just added in Winnipeg last night, a couple fans coming up afterwards and it, it's fine. It, it's fine. We're chatting a little hockey. It's all good. So, um, but yeah, the, the voice part, um, I, again, it's just kind of, it is, it is me. I mean, um, I remember a long, long time ago, uh, I did a demo tape one and this is when I was a kid with the radio station and, and I did a demo reel for a newscast. And I remember the program director said, I uh, don't try to sound like someone else. Just sound like yourself. You were putting on too much of a voice. You know, during the, the deep news, uh, it's yeah. seven degrees at 445, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, you just, it's all about being yourself and, and, um, you know, when a game's exciting, a game's exciting. It's just, it, it just comes with the flow kind of thing. So, um, I, I don't, as you said, it's when you hear me, it's me. I don't know. I don't really put it on. Uh, when you get excited, you get excited, and then you're having fun, and then away you go, right? So uh, it's just, yeah, that part of it, I think, is just kind of, it just kind of comes naturally in the sense of it's who I am, it's who I sound like. I don't think about putting on a game day voice or anything like that, or a radio voice, or um, you know, unless we were doing characters back in the day for radio commercials, then you change your voice. But other than that, yeah. Um, and you know what? That's that's probably especially for broadcasters um, that are presenting broadcasters in, in the sense of, you know, you're you're calling a game or you're hosting or something when you're in not just talk radio, but when you're in that position of presenting something. I think that that's a something you, you learn over a bit of time to um, be comfortable with yourself and confident with yourself in in what your broadcast sound is and and what you sound like because you don't want to get into that game of of getting into your own head and, and trying to sound like somebody else so um i think that takes a bit of time as well mm -hmm. 
Yeah. John, uh, you talked about the importance of reps at all levels, but I mean, I first got to know you when I was covering the moves in the American League and, and you were yeah. covering the American League as well. I mean, what was the biggest value of the reps at that level? And then also, too, I mean, I can think of my own situation where now you're one step away and you want to get to the next level uh, for some of those young aspiring broadcasters on the way up. I mean, how did you manage that part of, you know, that you knew what the next step wanted to be? How did you, how were you able to stay present in order to help your play-by-play get you to the next level eventually? Yeah, well, I, you know, I did over 500 games in the American League and, uh, and you know, I wouldn't trade it in the experience for anything and a lot of trips to Winnipeg that were great times back in the day. So, uh, and still is, by the way, I still love coming to Winnipeg all the time and it is the center of Canada, no matter what people in Toronto try to say, it is the geographical center of Canada. You know, you feel the heartbeat of the country every time you're in Manitoba and in Winnipeg. So, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the experience is, um, it, it's something that really, as I said, gets you comfortable uh, in handling yourself and handling a lot of different situations. Um, you know, I mean, when I think about doing games in the American League, producing my own games, I remember I had a situation, I can relate a few situations of stuff you learn in the, you know, in the minors that you then take up to the to the NHL and, um, I remember one night doing a game in Syracuse at the old War Memorial, uh, and, and you know how much that building is great, Kenny. Uh, so, <laughs> Do I ever? You know, yeah, in the press box there where you didn't want to rip your pants or crack your head off a steel beam. You're calling a game between two beams like that. You lean over, you get too excited, you lean up, you're concussed. It happens. So, um, but anywho, uh, we had one night there where, you know, I'm on my own. I slug my own equipment up there, and, and we're going to the game. Something happened in the game. Uh, with our, our Comrex unit that had us on air on radio, and, and we went off air. And so I immediately grabbed my cell phone and called our operator at the station in Toronto, and I was like, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, what happened? I don't know we're down. Okay, can you hear me fine now? Yeah, pot me up. What? Pot me up. Just put me on the air. Put me on the air like a caller. We'll fix it in the intermission. So I ended up finishing the period, just calling the game off my phone, and Bob McGillicott, who was a radio broadcaster at the time for Syracuse, now he's with Columbus, is beside me and he's looking over like what are you doing and i'm just on the phone going ah i'll fix it later right and then you solve it and fix it in, in the intermission and um and then later on that happened in the nhl to me in the night in san jose uh we had an issue again and here you are in the nhl thinking everything's going to be fine same thing happened we went off the air there was trouble and everything and i just picked up the phone and called my upper i said can you hear me yeah pot me up what do you mean just put me on the air and we'll get it on and we did, I did a whole period that way on my phone and then worked out with the engineer to go over phone line the rest of the game. And um, it was funny. It was a late game in San Jose and my program director wakes up to emails in the morning. Oh, the problem with the feed and everything happened. He was like, what, what was wrong? I didn't hear. I listened to the whole game. I didn't hear a thing. It was a West Coast game. He went to bed, put it on his alarm clock radio and that speaker couldn't tell the difference in the sound he just <laughs> on, on a phone line. But so, uh, you know, it, it's stuff like that. You learn along the way. I mean, I remember. Oh my gosh, one night in Chicago, I had the equipment all torn apart on the game. I'm borrowing screwdrivers from the engineer. The board went down and I'm sending a picture to our engineer and he's like, oh my God, no on-air person has ever touched equipment like this before. I'm like, hey, we got to get on the air and I'm fixing it. So you learn stuff like that. I think you learn relationships uh, with players. You learn uh, with coaches, um, you know, different scenarios that you encounter and how to how to deal with that. It, it, it's all experience, right? It's it's, it's broadcast experience, it's professional life experience, it's career experience. So, you know, I, I think you take that with you and all those lessons. And, and for, as you were saying, how do you stay in the moment? Um, 
what Ken was saying too, part of it is enjoy the ride. Uh, part of the fun is the, the journey, not necessarily just the destination. But also, I think the other side of that is um, if you want to move on, you have to be present. And it doesn't matter if you know it is a whatever night of the week and there's only an online audience and you don't know how big it is or whatever. That doesn't matter because for that night, that's the biggest show you're going to do. And you've got to be ready for that audience and give them the best show you can. You never know who's going to be listening. And, uh, and, and if you take that approach and have that approach and bring it um, from that standpoint every show, then that's part of your preparation to wanting to get to the next level uh, because you're treating where you are like the next level. If you sort of take that approach and, um, you know, in a hockey sense, don't play down to your competition, play up and always strive to be the best at everything you do. And you keep that in the moment. I think that's a big way that helps you move forward. This is one of the things I wanted to really dive in with you is the value of the grind. I think you did a real good job of showcasing kind of the, the learning how to do more with less is one of the huge valuable le lessons you learn on the way up. You just touched on it briefly with players and coaches, but one of the things um, I jumped from news right into sports at the NHL level. And one of the things yeah. that feels like it's missed that I missed along the way is the, the value of those relationships that you meet with the same with the, the players and the coaches that are going through the same grind as you are just kind of in a different area, but you're all kind of coming up together. G give us an idea of some of the, some of the valued relationships that you were able to build coming up and how they've paid off at the NHL level for you. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's stories we can't repeat, but no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, you're right. Uh, I always, I always say, you know, the American hockey league, uh, I really wish everyone went through there because it, it, it's a learning lesson in so many ways, but um, it's a completely different world from, from what we're in in the NHL. And anytime, um, you know, if you're an AHL alumni and you run into another broadcaster or coach or player that's been through there and you make that connection, it's like this immediate, almost secret kind of handshake. Like, I get it. You were on the bus. You did it, you know, and you can start talking about different cities and experiences and, and all that uh, sort of stuff. So, I think that that's, that's different than what we have in the NHL. And especially now um, in the COVID times, those relationships are even harder to have um, in the sense of, you know, you're distanced more from the players. And, and really, though, it's also not a case of, you know, like, I think it's different when you're a team broadcaster and you're with the team all the time. Um, there's a little more relationship there just because you're traveling together. Uh, there's closer stories and tie-ins. When you're a national broadcaster, there's more of a separation. You're not with players and teams all the time. So it's a little different that way. But uh, I think that the relationships that you you learn how to, how to handle along the way, how to deal with coaches. Um, I've had a lot of different coaches when I was either a team broadcaster in the American League or in the NHL um, and now national broadcaster where – the relationships of how you handle that, how you handle sensitive information, um, or just relationships of how you deal with them, uh, that, that you know, you learn along the way that's, that's very different. But I think it earns a respect for you as well. Um, I'd like to think you could probably talk to a lot of coaches that I've dealt with or have had throughout my career um, that they would tell you they probably have a lot of respect for me because there was mutual respect back for uh, what you went through in the job. Um, you know, it's... It's one thing to, to, you know, maybe know what uh, injury a guy has. It's another thing when uh, you're on the bus uh, helping the trainer tape him up after a game for your six-hour <laughs> ride home, and the next day you're like, I don't know, coach says upper body, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, I don't know anything more than that. I always found, especially in the American League, 
and in the NHL when you're traveling the charter, that's like being in the room. So you have to have, there has to be a level of respect to understand that when you're in that position, you're in the room and there's a line you can't cross and you have to respect that. And um, I, I think I always sort of did a good job of that in understanding, okay, if I'm on the bus or I'm on the plane, this is, this is their world, not my world and not my job to report what's going on in this world out in the public. And maybe one day if I write a book, there's a lot of stories I, I could tell down the road uh, of stuff I've seen or, or whatever. And, and it doesn't matter because that's, it's the player's story to tell, not mine. Um, that, that was just us being a sort of a fly on the wall in, in their world at the time. So I think when you get that, you, you, you know, you're in the respect from the players and the staff and the coaches uh, and, and you learn that it's something you really only get when you work up through the different levels. If you jump right in at the top, you, you don't get all that. Um, I, I laugh. I have stories to tell, but another good one to, is um, uh, Kenny Albert and Barry Trotz have some great stories together from their American Hockey League. The three of us always get into the every time uh, Trotz and Kenny and I are together in a rink. They, oh my God, the AHL stories start because we all have those same connections. And and Kenny and Barry have got a you know great one where he called the cops on them. And anyways, it's all good. <laughs> it's fun. It's stuff you you know that you you have a good time and you laugh about it, but. It's a really different relationship uh, that you have. And, and I think it's also how you understand the team concept um, of what it is to be a really good teammate, not just as a player, but, you know, working as we do in a, in a broadcast crew environment as well. Yeah, I mean, and part of those secret handshakes, I mean, man, 10 years I covered the American League. I loved it. Uh, it was the NHL. that We treated it like the NHL in Winnipeg. It was fantastic. But, man, you talk about the weekends, uh, weekend at Bernie's special. You got a... Friday Friday night game in in Hamilton. You got a Saturday afternoon game in Cleveland and a Sunday afternoon game in Toronto. Uh, that that's quite a. It's not. Imagine how we felt as as journalists, John. Imagine how those players are feeling trying to get peak performance. I mean, well, yeah, that's because all you journalists were hungover. That's the. <laughs> that's the <laughs> I was going to say, there's not even any time to drink when you're on the bus. Never mind. <laughs> but uh, I mean, too. So you know, you go from that. I mean. You're doing Hockey Night in Canada now, but I even mean, part of your journey was covering the Montreal Canadiens and being the voice of the Canadiens. I mean, what was that experience like, knowing that the, the dynamic in Montreal is different than anywhere else in Canada? I mean, what was that like to, to go through? Yeah, it certainly is, right? And I mean, you always, everyone talks about the leaf market and the pressure the leaf market's on. Uh, I think Brian Burke said it said it uh, best, you know, the worst part about being GM in Montreal is they hate you in two languages. And, uh, you know, so I think the intensity and the scrutiny you face in Toronto is magnified more in Montreal even because of the two languages. And, and, and you know, it's a different culture. It is a different, um, in Montreal, it, it, hockey really is, and the Canadians really are a religion. And it's kind of tough to understand that uh, outside of the market and, and the Quebec culture and how it's so... Um, intertwined with the Canadians and the history and uh, the politics of it all. And, you know, when you go through needing to have a, a French speaking coach and, and general manager and, uh, you know, the relationship with the fans that way, it really is a unique, cool um, love affair, uh, really, between the fan base and the hockey club that is extremely passionate uh, beyond any kind of just normal sports relationship. And, and that's, as I said, has to do with sort of the history um and how it intertwines that way, but uh, incredible, incredible fun to be able to do that, um, to follow in the, you know, the same chair as Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin. 
Um, and I still talk to Dick all the time regularly. Um, you know, he's just turned 90 at the start of March there, and he's doing great. And uh, so, you know, all those connections and the, the ability to do that. And, and yeah, you know, really, when you, when you think about it, to be able to have uh, covered both original six teams in Toronto and Montreal, um, you know, that's something that, that's pretty special and, uh, and pretty cool to be able to do. But Montreal is such a unique market and, uh, and so much fun when you, when you really get into it and understand it all. Ken, I'm going to steal two questions here quick back to back. The first one, you got to be careful. You talked about that passionate relationship. You got to be careful what you read on Wikipedia. But did your grandfather really have, was he a five decade season ticket holder with the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had season tickets at the Forum and then over to the, uh, well, the Molson Center when it opened. So, uh, yeah, so he had tickets, yeah, for I guess around 50 years there. Center ice seats in the whites. And uh, my first NHL game was actually at the Forum. Uh, which was which was pretty cool to be able to see games in the forum, and uh, that was a special building, little little different than a lot of the other ones. You know, any of the old buildings, right? It was like Maple Leaf Gardens, same way, and you know, um, it was like seeing the Big Queen at Winnipeg Arena, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it had it. They all had a different feel. The old buildings, a little character to them. So, um, yeah, that's that's true. And I didn't know there was a Wikipedia, so, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. learn something new every day. Yeah. Yeah, second one I want to do back-to-back here. You kind of jumped over it a little bit there, but Dick Irvin, you and him have a great relationship. I can't imagine what it's like to have access to the wealth of knowledge that is Dick Irvin. Give us an idea about that relationship and what you've been able to take away from that. Yeah, every time Dick and I uh, get together to talk or even just call on the phone, uh, always a story, always a story, and and never-ending. And it never gets old or tiring hearing them all. And uh, we had one a few weeks ago where – uh, he's just recovering from, uh, he had a hip replacement. He's doing well. He's doing great. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we were doing, a, um, I guess it was Super Bowl weekend, this particular weekend I'm thinking of. And the Canadians were struggling at the time. And I called him that night and uh, we were chatting with him on the phone. And then he got off to a story about his dad and, and how his dad took over from that worst team. And he was saying, you know, this might be the worst team because of the 48 game. Anyways, we got into a whole story about him. Like, hold on, hold on. And so we're writing it down. The next day we used the story and it was great talking about his dad and all the connections. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. He, you know, he's so sharp and uh, such a great memory and all those stories to have. So uh, that's, that's a friendship. I, I certainly uh, treasure a lot. Yeah. John, what makes a uh, good chemistry between partners brought, you know, play by play in a color person. I mean, obviously you work with different people at different times in your career, but what makes a good partnership and, and how does it get strengthened over the over time? Yeah, you know, I think like kind of any partnership, uh, you know, if you, if you have a good little sort of friendship um, that goes along, I think that translates well. Um, or, or any just kind of connection where you're in sync, you know what's going on, you know, uh, you know when the other person's going to say something, you know the times you want to jump in, you don't. And, um, and, and, you know, you build a little camaraderie out of the booth as well. So, um I like to think I'm a pretty easy guy to get along with and work with. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of great uh, color partners and analysts uh, uh, throughout the years. Um, and, yeah, just sort of really uh, being able to spend a little, just like this, right, the sitting around, shooting the breeze, talking some hockey. That's where you come up with some great stories and, and what translates across onto the air. So um, I think it's just sort of having that that good little relationship where you can – have a few laughs once in a while and, and just sort of understand what it's all about, when to jump in and when not to. And, and that usually seems to work pretty well. 
Well, I'll tell you, Bartz, you are easy to get along with. One of the things I think you do really great in your career, you're a great connector. And what I mean by that is I think that you are able to, uh, it's a good thing that you jump around and go to different markets because you come in when I work with you, doesn't matter what team we're doing, you come in prepared, you come in knowledgeable, and you come in in a way that I think that you really connect with the local fan, which isn't easy to do uh, out of the gate. A lot of guys, it'll take a, a couple of games or three three or four before they kind of get the team. You always get the teams and the market that we hop into. I've always admired that about you. Uh, it's a pleasure working with you when I do get the opportunity like we did last night. And it was a pleasure having you on the show here today. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, like I said, I always love coming to Winnipeg. Always have and a lot of fun. I know a little tough year for the Jets, but hopefully better days are coming ahead. But always a good time uh, in Winnipeg. Great fan base, great market, great building. And everything else that goes with it. So thanks for having me on. This was fun. I'll come back anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you. We'd love to have you. Hopefully we'll see you on the road during the playoff beat. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. Um, thoughts, Ken? Yeah, lots of fun as usual. I mean, uh, obviously we know John a little bit better than Kenny. Uh, Kenny, we've had a few you know interactions on Twitter and stuff, but uh, I, I didn't really know him, but I know he's a great human being and it was great to have him share his his story with with our viewers and guests and same with John. I mean, I think that um, one of the goals that we've had from the very beginning is in our market where we're trying to make some inroads um, with Sportsnet. I mean, we want people to get to know these people and know know that they care. I mean, I don't think a lot of people in Winnipeg know that John spent tons of time calling games involving the Manitoba Moose in that mm-hmm. building and, and his journey. And I, I love to be able to share those stories with folks too because, I mean, as we saw, they're passionate people and they're passionate about hockey and, and they love to be in places where people are passionate about the sport. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's great to be able to share those types of stories and personalities with, with our viewers and listeners. John does not miss a beat when he comes rolling into this Winnipeg market here. He understands this team. He gets it. There was, you know, he was with the Marlies, spent time. One of the things he didn't really talk about, but spent time uh, with Paul Maurice when he was a coach in Toronto uh, and always, you know, I don't want to say leverage that relationship, but that, that, connection that was created there is something that he took and used to be a better broadcaster for the Winnipeg Jets anytime he rolled through town. And that's one of those things that I think is just, I always used to think this about Munzee, you know what I mean? Like Munzee started out, he was on the bus with, you know, the humble Broncos and teams like that in the SJHL worked his way up and there would always be these connections of NHL men who would come rolling into town. They turn, they'd see Munzee and it would be like, that's a guy that I spent time on the bus with 20 30 years, however long ago it was. And that creates those kind of relationships that existed long before, you know, it's, it's like a lot of NHL players end up marrying the high school sweetheart, right? Because she was with you before you ended up getting to the show. Those kind of relationships exist. And that's one thing, John, I think does a phenomenal job with. And one of the things I wanted to bring up about Kenny, I know it kind of was, uh, we were talking about the coverage of Tiger Woods and, and you know, how we see it being covered. I'm glad we talked about that because he is an old school guy in the way I, I think some people wouldn't think that because the fact that he's, you know, can be as playful as he is does not seem old school, but he takes the rules of journalism extremely seriously. One thing I had no idea about because he didn't tout it. He didn't throw it all over the news when it was happening. Um, he had a really, really good relationship with Dale Howarchuk. 
And uh, it was something I didn't learn about until I was in Toronto uh, at the head office um, and was chatting with him. And uh, he had a real uh, knowledge of, of Dale and Dale's situation. Um, and it was something that he kept to himself because, you know, that's what pros do. Um, tons of adver- admiration for both those guys. It was a fun, fun to have them on. No yeah, doubt. absolutely awesome. Um, were you going to do those tickets today or are we saving that for... No, we'll save that for... Uh, or um, when's our next game? Jets and Avalanche tomorrow. I guess there's still time. Yeah, yeah let's do it tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, just to give a heads up to anyone out there, we're going to be for the final four home games for the Winnipeg Ice. I know things are going to be winding down here for the Winnipeg Jets, but you have maybe the best junior hockey team in the entire country right here in Winnipeg. They're going to have an interesting... Uh, run down the stretch here uh, and uh, talked with Munzee. Speaking of Munzee, we'll be giving away some tickets on the show again. So if you're interested in those, um, send me uh, send me a direct message to uh, to my email or sorry, my Twitter account, uh, and I'll find that um, and uh, and we'll do some giveaways here. So uh, yeah, other than that, everyone really appreciate you tuning in and all those listening at home. We love these shows. We love spending time with these people, and we love uh, kind of opening up their worlds to your worlds. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We will see you after the Avalanche game on Friday. Bye, everybody.